Friday on Knight Rider, Michael and Bonnie are trapped in a woman's prison with only one way out. They get killed. Then the misfits of science must team up with a super secret agent or die spying. About the spy business, is this the usual thing or what? And on Miami Vice, Crockett gets a chance to bust G. Gordon Liddy. It's the American dream. Friday. Hey everyone ever, and welcome to 20th Century Pop, the show where we try to understand the present while living in the past, or at this particular moment, hope to uh, survive the present while wishing it was the past. Uh, I don't know. Look, I'm Tim Blevins, one of the show hosts, and uh, you know, like you might be, I definitely am a bit um, anxious these days, a bit uh, nervous these days, but but you didn't come here for uh, for that. Um, you know, you didn't come here to hear those feelings. You'll be getting it next week, uh, sure, when my co-host uh, Bob returns and we dive into a new episode all about pop culture apocalypses. Uh, but for this week, um, this, this one, the first of, I guess, our ongoing weekly doses of quarantined episodes, uh, where we're posting an older episode, actually one of our, excuse me, one of our show's first uh, episodes, and one that doesn't actually show up in the feed if you're subscribed to us on a, on a podcast catcher. Uh, episode 11 um, is, is what we'll be playing for you today. It originally aired March 30th, uh, 2017, and like some of you might be doing now with uh, some of your favorite shows you know, from home. Uh, it's a binge and podcast episode wherein Bob and I watch a sequential number of uh, episodes from a, a show that we, we watched in childhood. And then we discuss kind of what it meant to view them that way uh, now, you know, in our present adult and possibly illish age. Um, and the show that we watched was a mid-80s sci-fi comedy action a hybrid of a program, and one that, um, as we started all off, you'll hear Bob relating uh, how he got canceled from the network after one season, how he might be responsible for its absence from uh, TV Guide. Misfits of Science is the name of the show, and it uh, serves as our podcast's token friends reference, as Courtney Cox is in it. Uh, so maybe you know the show, or Maybe you're, you were too busy watching Auto Man, but uh, here are a healthier Bob and I discussing a few episodes of the mid-80s, hour-long, uncategorizable television program, Misfits of Science. This is um, this is this was a favorite show of yours from childhood. I was not familiar with anything about the title of it, but but yes, want to introduce this. Yes, we're going to talk about Misfits of Science, uh, which was a series on NBC. It ran for, I guess you would call it a season, but it was about sixteen episodes. Uh, Misfits of Science in 1985 it premiered, mm-hmm. and. From the start of this podcast, when you first presented the ideas uh, to me, Tim, th- mm-hmm. this was on the top of my list as a show I would like to go back and and uh, reacquaint myself with. Um, I had only seen episodes uh, from the first run when it aired, and I have not seen until this past week anything since. Um, but my memory of it was very strong. Um, and... Two reasons why this this television show was just 
stuck in my head and something I just loved as a kid, um, or, or something that I remember loving as a kid. Two reasons. One, it was a cool show. Um, so I was nine or ten, I guess, at the time, and I thought it was the coolest show because it was a sci-fi super superhero kind of show on television. It had a guy that could shoot electricity out of his fists. It had a man who could shrink. It had a woman that could move things with her mind. And it was awesome. The characters were fun. I remember them being interesting and cool. And they had superpowers. So that was reason, that was reason number one I loved it. Reason number two is because I killed the show. I caused the show to be canceled. Wow. I, do you want to say that on a digital recording that seven people listen to? I do. I do. Here's the thing. I don't know if the show would have stuck with me as much if this event hadn't occurred. I watched the show every week. It was probably the first show that I really made, you know, appointment television for. It might have also been like one of the first times I was aware of a new season of television, you know, where there's there's new programming. Maybe I was aware of it beforehand, but this show really stood out. And then I'm looking at the, the air dates here, and I can pinpoint the day based on, on these air dates. I missed the December 13th episode because my family was going to a cousin's house or a second cousin's house for a holiday celebration. And I was so mad. I was so angry that I had to go and that I was going to miss the show. And I then went and looked uh, for a TV when I was there. And my mom kept saying, no, you joined the party. They're being so kind. Let's, you know, so I couldn't watch the episode. I didn't know what happened. The next week, December 20th, it wasn't on the air because I was one less viewer. They, they couldn't keep it on the air anymore. There weren't getting enough people to watch it. And it was my fault. If I hadn't had to go to that party, I could have watched that episode, kept the viewership up, and the, the show would still be on television today. You're probably not that far off on your first half. I don't think there was a big viewership for the show. Sounds like this was maybe your favorite show then. Uh, at that time, yeah. Was MacGyver on at this time? Also, I think uh, eight five is probably when MacGyver premiered. I'm I'm less familiar with that, except that the, the date sounds about right. Eighty five, yeah, six, yeah. MacGyver probably I picked up MacGyver later in the season because MacGyver was a surprise to me. Like I wasn't anticipating MacGyver. I just happened to turn the television on, and I remember it was the episode with the ants, and I saw all these ants, and I was like, oh, what the heck is going on? I got to watch this. And then there was like no talking for. 15 minutes and just a guy fiddling with wires and, and bamboo. And I fell in love with MacGyver with that episode. Um, so, so yeah, this was my favorite show at the time, but you didn't watch it. No, I didn't. I, it, it's, it's one of the shows I was, I've always been aware of it. Like I, I remember the commercials. In fact, watching the opening credit sequences, the, the, the character who can shoot lightning out of his hands, I believe his name is Johnny B. Mm -hmm. um, he's like holding onto some metal, like, uh, I don't know if it's like a floodlight or whatever, or like a, like a sports stand, like keeping the scores, but it's all sparking behind him and he's shooting electricity out of his fingers. And I remember that image very clearly from the commercials. I remember the logo, um, differently than it actually showed up, but do you, um, the logo misfits of science. I remember at least in the commercials it resembling the weird science logo, you know, with the metal word science and electricity spelling out weird, not how it looked on the show, but those, but somehow in my mind, that's how I remembered 
the, the the title logo of the show. So I do remember this being heavily promoted, and it definitely was a show set up, yeah, to appeal to me. For most of the reasons you described, it seems like this show would have appealed to me. I mean, I grew up watching a lot of 80s sci-fi, like Auto Man and Manimal, these hour-long right. <clears throat> dramas that, yeah, drew from kind of pulpier comic book uh uh, 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 just origins. Uh, this show was on Friday nights, and I think if it if it had premiered just a couple years later, I bet I would have been all over this show. Friday nights, for some reason, are particularly a big deal when I think back to them as a, as as a child. Fridays as a kid, at least to me, kind of meant you know the school week is over, and if friends weren't over, you know I was sort of finding my way to the TV to watch my private programs, you know, because it was just this idea of, oh, the week of learning math is over. Friday nights, because, you know, my parents, would, maybe they would have some plans or something. Once my brother got older, he was out a lot. My sister would go to bed early. Friday nights were the night where I was kind of focused on on the TV. And there was, there was there's always been a lot of kind of cool, weird sci-fi stuff on Friday nights, you know, not to make the cliche of the people who stay home are into into sci-fi but like x-files in the 90s that premiered on fridays prior to the x-files i remember watching a lot of ufo uh specials things like uh sightings and i think there was a show called ufo encounters and they were like an hour-long investigative paranormal supernatural shows and they all were on friday nights as well so that evening in that weird period between having a big social life and, and, you know, going to bed early, there, there was a period where Friday nights were my private TV viewing nights. And had this show been there for that, I think I would have tuned in every week for it. Cause yeah, it's, um, well, we should get into it. Actually, we should get into yeah. to actually talking about the show yeah, because, itself. Cause again, I had not seen it. And I, and I've discovered that I liked it, um, then, for entirely different reasons than I very much enjoyed it now. Oh, so it was a different, uh, yeah, sort of a different viewing experience. We we wound up the we picked three episodes to watch um, randomly because I found them on a YouTube channel. I didn't realize those are also the last three episodes of the series. So would you have seen those episodes when they first aired? No, I did not see these episodes um, after the holiday party incident and not finding it the following week. Um, I had trouble finding it again. I don't know if maybe it was moved to a different time slot, um, but or or maybe because it was still the holiday season, I just wasn't free on the Friday nights. But I had trouble finding it again, and then it eventually got I got wind that it had been canceled. Uh, so you it, did hear that? Because I'm, I'm trying to think like at ten and eleven, I don't think I was necessarily aware of how TV worked, like in the sense of stuff being canceled. Like I guess I knew shows would be on certain nights because we would watch Who's the Boss every Tuesday or the Disney Sunday movie on whatever night that was on. But yeah, the impression of something being gone or being canceled, I don't think I fully grasped that. I think something was just not on and I'd have to find something else. But you you definitely remember the process of the show sort of dying. So you did miss these episodes. It's my my first uh, series death that I I was uh, aware of. It's like learning that you know, Santa Claus wasn't real. It was like learning that television wasn't forever, I guess. Wow. I, which I guess is a heavy hit. Like, I don't... And I don't know if it's because I wasn't watching long... I mean, at 10 or 11, what show could we have been watching for more than a couple years? But yeah, I don't think I necessarily had that idea either that shows had a definite ending. Yeah. 
I must have experienced it because I was into a lot of sitcoms that never last more than a season or two. I followed shows like that. You know what? I always I always assumed they were reruns, to be perfectly honest. Like anything like you're talking about a, a short sitcom that was on for a year or so. I just assumed it was an older show. I always did. Maybe it's because I was brought up watching the Brady Bunch and and my mom watched loads of old TV Westerns. And I just always assumed, I think, or I had this sense that everything I was watching was older. And maybe it was with this series and maybe there were other series, but they were like grown up shows like Dallas, which this actually apparently ran against mm-hmm. um, and and things like that. Like I like there was a show I can't. I wish I could remember the name of it. There were two sisters, two twin sisters. And I really liked the show. Double Trouble? It might have been Double Trouble. Yes, Double Trouble. Was it a sitcom? It was a sitcom. They had two guy neighbors. Um, Yeah. No, that aired, I'm going to say it aired in 83 because I remember there was a Return of the Jedi joke on an episode that I remember to this day. (laughs) Do you remember remember the joke or just that it had the joke? I remember that one of the guys was talking about how much he liked Return of the Jedi and one of the twins got mad at him and said, you didn't love the movie because of the cute little Ewoks. You didn't love the movie because of Darth Vader. You loved the movie because of Princess Leia in that bikini. And as a child, hearing someone talk about Star Wars was very exciting. Hearing that recent of a reference, because I guess like you, I thought TV shows were older. Somewhere in my mind, I guess I thought there was a production process. So if somebody's making a reference, it can't be something that happened, I guess, at that point a month or two before. Right. Um, but that was also, I, I didn't gather what the joke was because as a child, I wasn't sexually turned on by Princess Leia. I didn't find that scene to be the sexual awakening that I think a lot of people in our generation did. So that joke never quite made sense. But the joke has always stuck in my mind to the point that I remember in the closing credits, as the credits are rolling and they're playing, you know, they would play, replay key scenes from the episode just kind of as background to the credits. Right. They had the sequence of her kind of walking, telling them you weren't into this movie without the audio. And I just, that, that for some reason is the only thing I really remember from that show, but I remember it very clearly. Was that the one we were watching? No, we watched Mr. <laughs> Science. Yeah, we That's right. watching Mr. Science. Um, but no, I guess I brought that up to, to just sort of, yeah, this was the first show, Misfits of Science, where I, I kind of started to become aware of, of what the television seasons were like. <clears throat> and how they had a start and end and the shows would last or wouldn't last based on whatever factors. Um, but yeah, coming back to it now, very excited to come back to it and not the show I remembered. So, so what's, what's the show you remembered? I... Well, the show I remembered as a kid was just science fiction, superhero powers, action, saving the day. That's kind of what I remembered. Mm-hmm. Um, which this has, and these episodes that we watched has all of that. But what I didn't remember was the comedy aspects of it. I didn't realize it was such a silly kind of almost farcical. Um, I, like as I was watching it, I was thinking of like police squad and airplane in a lot of a lot of ways. No, it, it is it is ridiculously funny. Like, yeah. and I was I was really surprised by that too. I, there, yeah, I thought it was going to be all cool characters, scientist characters, but no, there is a lot of background. Um, it takes place at this laboratory called Humanidine. Is that correct? Yes. And in it, like, there's always all these experiments going on in the background, and I found a lot of that to actually be very funny because it's 
poorly staged slapstick. <laughs> yeah. Like it doesn't necessarily have a point. There's no logic behind the experiments, but you're seeing just some people tripping and falling and weird hats and whatever. Yeah, None of it, which was impacting the plot. And I, I, men in canoes for no reason. Yeah, uh, it was a canoe. And then some smart jokes about psychics and stuff like that that I also found to be very funny. Yeah. No, this was a very... It reminded me a lot of uh, the... And I'm not... They're not the same, but the movie The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai. Have you ever seen that? I have not. Put it on the list. That's an amazing movie that I didn't understand as a child. But the more, you know, getting older, it's kind of this pulpy science fiction take of a movie and, and it has a lot of just bizarro comedy that is just i don't know it's watching this show i think this seemed like a nerd show yeah like watching it at least then i was like this is a show about what the 80s thought scientists were and scientists were nerds they were geeks and this show the, the idea of these misfits of science was these are the outsiders who don't fit in struggling and 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 trying to make their way through the world how they see it and that seems very dated given the fact that for the past i don't know 10 15 years i i think the culture we live in at least the pop culture and movie and television culture is very geek dominated yeah kind of like the characters of this show with the exception of of, of johnny b who is kind of the cool sunglasses love you know wearing character these characters these geeky math nuts and science nuts are kind of the dominant archetype i think right now um you know the, the scientists were not sexy back then <laughs> science was building you know crap and and stuff like that but yeah. like now we have like the big bang theory we have um i mean even marvel's agents of shields they're showing you scientists that even when they're nerds they exist in the world and they function in the world and they're, they're, they're heroes in a different way, I guess. Did you see any of that duality there? Uh, upon this reviewing? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and part of me was even thinking as I was watching this, I think this could be a successfully remade show um, because of, of how things have turned a bit. I think these are characters that maybe people weren't interested in watching at the time. But like you're saying now, it seems to be more of a... Uh, um, well, it seems more relevant, but I, I do wonder why didn't people watch this at the time? Was it just a scheduling thing? Uh, maybe we should look at the characters a little bit and kind of break that down. Because I thought the show is actually, it's a progressively cast, well-thought-out show. Whether or not these are deep characters. And it was hard to tell because we watched the last three episodes. The first episode we watch is a clip episode. Right. <laughs> You know, one of those kind of, and this is something I, I don't feel like we get this as much anymore, but it's a show that, that has a loose plot built around flashbacks where it's kind of like we're going to put Family Ties, the TV show Family Ties used to do this every season. Like yeah. the characters would be in some scenario and one would be like, hey, do you remember the time you were here and you had the bear costume on and something was on fire and they'd flashback to that episode or something like that. The first episode we watched and it took me a little bit to gather this was going on. It's a weird well, there's two things going on. It's a clip episode. So we're seeing scenes that if if you had followed the show up to this point, you would have been seeing scenes, I assume, from the previous week's episode. It seemed kind of soon for a clip episode. It wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't the previous week's episode. It was just scenes from the previous because this was episode 14. So it was just from the, the previous 13 episodes, although it seemed like they might have pulled uh, bits from a couple episodes more than than others because there seemed to be like some running storylines in the in the flashbacks um but yeah basically the the main 
character, the the quote unquote leader, which is kind of what he defines himself as by the end of this episode. Uh, he realizes he's the leader. Um, that is uh, Billy Hayes, Doctor Billy Hayes, mm-hmm. um, who is one of the scientists at uh, Humanidine. He is being overworked. Um, you describe the scene where he's kind of walking uh, through the lab floor and all these experiments are going on and he's trying to monitor parts of all of them and he's being overworked and he he says, I need just a moment to to rest my eyes. And basically he falls asleep or he wakes up um, because what happens is he wakes up in an alternate universe, a dream that we understand is his dream. Um, And so all the characters that up to this point we have been watching, had we been watching up to this point um, are now, (laughs) different they are the polar opposite of of who they are in his world yeah it's a bizarre one to start off on yeah it's very in some ways it's breaking down each character it is giving you an origin like i got to figure out who all the main characters are well again we should talk about who each one is in a second but you are given the you're basically you have to reverse engineer it because you're seeing like look at this character he's kind of this womanizing perv of a uh, custodian and this character is like a rigid by the books organizer and this character is like a, a nerd and then you flip that and that's who they are in the real show right and you're getting that through the clips and I I, I imagine it would have been very entertaining if one had followed the show. I appreciated it as an introduction because, again, I got to, you know, it gave me a little something extra to do to figure out the show. And it just made me wonder, were these were these characters that well-defined? I mean, that's great television making if by the 15th episode you know characters enough that you can do this with them and they're all recognizable. Or maybe it was their effort to help define them even more by showing you who they aren't. I'm also wondering maybe this, because you said the last episode you saw was in December, maybe like a period of time passed before this came back on, January or February or something, and maybe this episode was an attempt to catch you up, you know, like here's what's happened previously. Because I have to say, the three episodes we watched, my guess is the second one was kind of the most standard, you know, beginning, middle, and end episode. The other two were kind of experimental episodes, kind of playing with what I think was the structure of the show, and both, I think... My, I'm wondering if the budget, like, did they know they were going to be canceled? Because I feel like this is probably a show that had a pretty high budget, so you have to spread that out through the season. A clip show is a pretty affordable way to get through an episode because half of your episode has already been filmed. And then the last episode we watched, which serves as the season finale when we talk about that, does some very clever things that cut back on the amount of staging and camera work that you need. Like, it's just, it's interesting to watch this, this half of the show and be like, I think they were just, it looks like they were just trying whatever they wanted. Yeah, I got that sense as well. It's like, like you, you know. We're talking about a misfit show. Yeah. They didn't have anything to really fight for. So they kind of just went off the rails a bit and had, had some fun with it, it seems. And it is, it's a fun show. I mean, the, you talked about the main character already. He's, um, yeah, um, what was his name? I'm sorry, I'm bad with the uh, name. Hayes, Dr. Hayes. Hayes, yeah, Dr. Hayes. And he doesn't have any superpowers, does he? That's what I was trying to figure out. No, he doesn't, uh, which I think is an interesting aspect of the show. He's like the leader of the group, but he doesn't have any of the powers. And then he has a, uh, a lab a partner on the show who's a very tall gentleman who has the ability to shrink. Do you remember his name? Uh, that's Lincoln, uh, Elvin okay. Lincoln. Okay. 
Um, and yeah, he can shrink down. Um, I don't, do you, did he get that as a result of the pilot episode or is that something he's always had? That's a, some sort of chemical makes him shrink. Yes. I believe that happened in the pilot episode, um, which I haven't rewatched, but, um, Mm. that, that seems to make sense where he made himself a serum, a chemical, uh, that ends up in his body and he activates it by pressing the back of his neck, uh, a gland that releases it into his body and shrinks him instantly. That's right. And there's, and there's some pretty funny blue screen work with him <laughs> and, a, and a mouse that I really enjoy. So they're both scientists. Um, you have, uh, you have, I guess she would be the secretary, I guess there's a, a miss, uh, what is her name? Uh, I believe it was Miss Nance. Miss Nance, who I guess operates the phones and, and does the work as a secretary. And she's kind of the, probably the most whacked out character. Yeah, like she's, so. she's, she's obvious comic relief in a show that has a lot of comedy. She's like the, the over the top comedy relief. I, I would say. But she was also very enjoyable. I, yeah. I did like, I mean, she's, you know, outrageous fashions and she has a dog that looks just like her and, and which isn't a compliment either. And them, she but. seems to have the recurring bit too, where she takes messages or, or has uh, uh, messages for, for, for Dr. Hayes, which are all kind of, you know, off the cuff bits like, oh, the invisible man uh, was here for his x-ray. Uh, it came out blank, <laughs> but we're not sure he was standing in the right spot. You know, just yeah, and, which and is it, great writing. It's it just corny gets puns, but it's a great back, writing. You know? Yeah, no, she was really good at that. She she looked very eighties. The hair and the fashions were very much nineteen mid eighties, which was great. Yeah. Um, you have there's two other I guess they're considered misfits. There's uh, the character I keep talking about, Johnny B, who actually was my favorite character. Oh really? Um, his, yeah, his, he's kind of like the, his full name is cool. Johnny Bukowski. That's right. He's like the cool guy. He has the overdone, ridiculous hair. He's always wearing sunglasses. He can and shoot electricity jacket. out of his hands. A leather jacket. And I think the reason he won me over is in this first episode that we watched, in the alternate reality that he's in, he plays a nerd character. Like his character in that world is a nerdy tech guy. And I found that to be a very endearing performance. Yeah. Like I just thought that's a pretty funny character. And that is also what 80s nerds were. Right. Like I think it's easy to forget that you know in in the 80s if you were smart from what i'm told or if you knew math or if you're into comic books or dungeons and dragons or or anything that you know all these things that again i think are dominant parts of the culture now you were you were considered a nerd you're an outcast not in the way that people can hold on to geek culture now and be like i'm a geek and everyone's with me people were not with you in the 80s if no one identified as a nerd. You were called that. You were called a geek. You were called these things, and you were forcibly pushed out and verbally abused and, and treated like a joke, which is what he's playing. But I liked that portrayal. And then in the actual world, I don't know. It's it's funny that you know the cool characters is a hard character to play. Like he kept reminding me the the movie Grease, the musical. Like John Travolta obviously is the main character, but the character of Kinnicky in that movie, Jeff Conway's character. Like, that's such a hard character to pull off because you have to be believably cool, but still, for me to relate to them, they have to have some flaw or something. And I just, I thought he really pulled it off well. I like the kind of, I assume it's his origin flashback where he actually is singing the song, Johnny Be Good, yes. as he's dodging bullets or something. <laughs> yeah, he's, um, he's dodging bullets and, and sucking power from generators so he can shoot larger uh, bolts of electricity at uh, army trucks or something. Uh, uh, and singing though he's singing, singing the song Johnny uh, go yeah. go Johnny be good yep 
which must have I, I back to the future probably had just come out that summer i'm guessing that's why it's there but it's also a lot of this show is very i kept thinking of guardians of the galaxy the the movie recently uh-huh. like there's just it's you know it's using old music it's this mismatched group of characters two more of which we still have to mention it's 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 weird pop culture references this show has a lot of fucking pop culture references which i do not remember happening in the 80s as much yeah like the guy who can shrink down um, the costume, I think he always wears. The joke seems to be he keeps a Ken from Barbie and Ken jogging that's, suit in his pocket because right. he can fit into that. Um, there's references like someone mistakes one of the characters for Sting. Um, what else? I think that yeah, they mentioned Chuck Norris. They mentioned the Terminator. I mean, these yeah. are things that were current in the 80s. Yeah. So these are current references. It's not like a retro thing, which at that point would have been Elvis or something. And I just... I know I always looked up when a show, there's like the Double Trouble episode we were just talking about. I would notice as a child if there was a reference to something that seemed current to me because it didn't happen as much on TV as it does now. So I don't think you had pop culture worshippers writing shows yet. They were growing up in the pop culture. So this show, this show did a lot of that, which I think was very smart. Maybe it's key to the audience it was trying to reach, and, and, and therefore maybe it did speak to the writers. But I, I that really surprised me, and that's kind of why I liked Johnny character. It was so ridiculous that this guy is singing this song in the middle of a firefight. That it was just like, that's... As a kid, that that would have jazzed me. I was like, that's awesome. As, as an adult, I'm like, that that's pretty funny. Yeah, that's... And he's doing... Again, he's doing a good job with what's a campy thing to have to exactly have to and, and that's that's exactly the thing like as a kid my memory of it is that's just cool to watch and and it's <laughs> you know who does that and he's shooting bolts and he, they're shooting bullets at him and he's singing it's awesome but yeah now as an adult you realize that that's that's funny and it's meant to be funny and and it's silly and the thing i liked about the show that i didn't realize then um but it obviously played a part part in me liking it so much is not just those pop culture references but um, that they're making in the dialogue, but also just how, as a show, it is just an amalgam of all these pop culture references. I, mm-hmm. I liked how, um, as scientists, and just the way they interacted and how they hung out, it reminded me very much of the laid-back sarcasm of like the Ghostbusters. And even Miss mm-hmm. Nance is like your, your uh, secretary from the Ghostbusters, whose name's... I, I can't even think of I can't think of the character or the actress. Uh, Janine Melnitz. Yes, played by Annie Potts. Thank you, Tim. So that that was her. You know, even like the hair was very similar, and her uh, aloofishness about uh, being a secretary. Um. So you had that. I think Ghostbusters was a big influence. The um the little research I did, which was really just looking up on like uh imdb and, and wikipedia the, the, about the show um when the show was when it premiered when it was pitched um nbc uh, the president of nbc at the time brandon tartikoff there's a quote that I've, i pulled up from him which was basically we'll rely on the national Enquirer for story ideas it's loosely inspired by the d- dynamics we saw in ghostbusters sort of a kickback friday type show yeah and it's like that is what it is it doesn't sound creative in that sentence but you're right there is a certain like even in Ghostbusters, those three scientists, even Bill Murray's character, they're considered geeks. Yeah. He's kind of pervy now, I guess. <laughs> when you look at Bill Murray's character, I still love Peter Venkman, but he's kind of a perv. But um, so there is that angle to it. Um, of the uh, there's two more characters I would like to yes. to mention. Um, one of whom 
It's probably my favorite character. Actually, I know I was saying Johnny B was, but uh, Max Wright, who plays Willie on ALF, which is what I knew him as, right. plays, I guess, the head of Humanodyne or their supervisor. Yes, there's, I guess he's like their supervisor, yeah. Yeah, he's like a nervous, neurotic, straight-laced um, overseer. By the books, all the forms have to be filled out. Uh, Stepmeyer. What is his name? Richard Stepmeyer. But he wants you to call him Dick. That in itself, I'm like, that's a pretty clever joke because that's there a lot they keep saying that he he had my favorite part um the opening title sequence which we haven't spoken about and i could talk about that for an hour yeah this show has an amazing fuck you (laughs) to television right at the beginning which reminded me of the bastards of young video by the replacements uh when it the opening credits to the show starts with uh this tv screen someone's watching tv it's a black and white tv screen there's a guy playing the piano singing some kind of club like the misfits of science song on a you piano see the feet of whoever's on the piano it's in black and white you see the feet of whoever's watching it there and they're like throwing cans at the tv trying to, trying to the stop channel, it yeah and it won't work. It won't work. So the foot kicks the TV over. I think it sparks. And it goes into this incredibly synthesized 1980, might as well be Ken Carnes, but it wasn't Cindy Lauper sounding theme song. And it's just an awesome transition because it's kind of like, it's so jarring. That first moment is jarring because it's like, this is a dumb song. This doesn't even make sense time period. And so we as viewers... We have an avatar right there on the screen that kicks it over. I mean, this show is big on kind of blurring that fourth wall a lot. And that was, you know, right at the start of your show to do that. And it leads into just really TV in 1985. There are surfboards. <laughs> there are women on skates. There, neon. There are just neon colors. And then my favorite part at the end, you have, and I could, this part, I was so happy it was in each episode because it's the opening credits. Uh, the, the, the Dick, what is it? Spenkelmeyer? What's Stepmeyer. Stepmeyer. He's the square business guy. And like, there's a scene at the end of the opening credits where everyone in the lab is dancing and he, he can't believe these shenanigans. <laughs> there's shenanigans going around, but then he starts dancing his own square kind of stiff dancing amongst them. And then he shrugs like, well, that's how it works. And it freeze frames on him. And I was so happy to see that because that is every 80s version of, you know, the kids are, you know, the students are ruling the high school yeah. or, you know, the the nerds, I guess, have overpowered. It. And I just I couldn't believe that that's here in the show. It is ridiculously cartoony. It is an over the top character more than anything else on the show. And he does it so well. Like he's just always blubbering and bumbling his words and tripping. Yeah. And he was especially fantastic in the last episode. Uh, that was three days of the blender, the blender, <laughs> which I, that's another, I think, example of them sort of just breaking it, breaking down the format and saying, fuck this. Cause the last episode, which I, my feeling is they must've known they were canceled by then. <laughs> it's the majority of that episode is, um, done like a, like a news program like a current on the air, like news show about these characters. Yeah, like a 60 minutes type of thing. Yeah. Like the, and the main character has been arrested. And so you're, you're getting all these talking head clips of people talking about what's going on. And, you know, there's a plot with some scenes intermittently in that, but it's a lot of shaky camera stuff and people talking to the camera at being interviewed. And he, 
uh, the, the, the Dick character, <laughs> the first time he's being interviewed, he's in darkness because he doesn't want his identity given away. His voice is very clear. And I saw this joke coming from the moment it started, right. but halfway through his talking, someone clicks the switch on. Mm-hmm. And so you see him sitting there and he gets all nervous and he says, uh, cut, cut, whatever. They interview him again <laughs> later in the segment and he's behind this big folding screen. Yeah. So you still hear his voice. You can't see him, but the, the, I think it's called a Chiron. The, the, the credits <laughs> come up at the bottom of the screen identifying by name and title while he's talking. That's fantastic. And both of those jokes, yeah, they were just brilliant jokes and he plays that well. He's this nervous, paranoid, square guy who you know eventually the team respects. Um, I loved him. I loved every minute he was on because every line he said was always on the border of just being too much. Like Miss Nance, I really liked and her character is quirky enough that she does a good job with that. But his, him as a character written is a bad character because it's just, you know, it's just the, you know, it's like the guy, you know, in a sixties movie about boat cruises. It's, you know, the score. I don't know what the fuck I'm saying there. So were you going, were you going Catalina Caper there? I was going Catalina Caper there, and I decided not to because that character is so obnoxious. Hey, everyone ever. This is Tim Blevins, and sorry to break up the show with one of the same voices that co-hosting the show, but I wanted to talk to you for a minute about a band. Which band? How about that one band? That specific band? That only band that matters? I'm talking about Westerbergs, Stinsons, Mars, and Dunlapses, straight out of Twin Tone and not at all Soul Asylum. It's The Replacements, the most impactive band of my existence, and starting this April, I'm streaming a a five-day-a-week deep dive into figuring out why. It's every studio album in original order and one track at a time. That means talent show. That means color me impressed that probably means gary's got a boner the show is called what's that song and you can hear the sincerity of it all when it debuts april 20th on apple podcasts stitcher spotify and probably some other podcast catcher visits the not a hologram homepage at nahpods.com and click on the link to subscribe from the very beginning i'm becoming that person who talks about music all the time and you can listen every day well except the weekends to what's that song premiering april 20th at nahpods.com not a hologram it's a podcast he just he plays that character so well and it doesn't ground the show but it gives the show some form of an anchor that everything else can rotate around yeah, it. Plus, plus it gives you, um, you, you know, a little bit of tension with the scientists who are trying to do this. And he's like, no, you got to do that. You know, so you need that character there because it, it, they have to, they have to be rebellious. You know, we have to root for them to, to get, um, um, t- not to be held down by the man. And he, he represents the man. Does he though? Because I mean, he does represent the um, the obstacle. He becomes uh, part of the team in in mm-hmm. his way. And I, I don't know how quickly that happened because I didn't you know didn't see the prior thirteen episodes. Yeah. But um, I mean, he does play that. And again, I feel like that's very much that's a role you wouldn't really see now. I don't think in a show to that degree. Like there's something almost 
sadly comically effeminate about how nervous and 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 and, and blumbering around he is. Which also makes the uh, the first episode we we rewatched here the the flashback episode kind of a brilliant and funny too because he's playing the exact opposite of that as the <laughs> and pretty and well, pretty well. He plays it pretty well. I mean, I think he might have. I mean, actually, you know who didn't do it pretty well uh, is the next is the last person we have yeah, that we we yeah. got to introduce. Um, which which I have to say, uh, one, she's the first returning. <laughs> performer on an episode oh, she was on an episode a few weeks honor. ago first one i can think of she was and i do remember that she was on the show from the commercial somehow i've always known it's well who are we talking about courtney cox yes a very young yeah <laughs> not yet comical courtney <laughs> cox, not yet comical um appears in the show and i do remember her from the commercials i, I don't know why i've always known her somehow. yeah isn't that strange how she just seems to be just a part of our world from the get go. Um, it's, it just seems that way. She's, she was on this show. She was in music video. Uh, she was on family ties, which is what I really first remember her from. And I loved her on that show. Actually, I was yeah, a huge fan of that too. show and I very much liked her character on that show. And as we discussed, you know, she was on friends. And like I said, that she was my favorite character on that show. And what's, jarring i think and she's in the masters of the universe movie which is a, a movie I, I recall fondly for for the wrong reasons um but she's kind of miscast perhaps in this or miscast from my perception of her maybe yeah i i think we might have a different view if we had seen it from episode one um you know when she comes in and she is the the young naive girl she has the telekinesis well, she's power. also she's been to prison apparently the setup oh, i thought right. is she's supposed to be a punk that's or something right um what is a juvenile delinquent is the word i was trying yeah to then i'm of. completely off you're absolutely right because she doesn't play that in these three episodes you only you're right they no, mentioned in the last it. episode she knows a lot about how prison works which at that age what she says is what i knew <laughs> about prison and i've never been um that's right but in the the flashback episode her opposite version is this very strict totalitarian you know, obey the rules kind of taskmaster right. playing a Nazi basically. basically. But her character is supposed to be the opposite. And she is, I guess that her and Johnny B weren't scientists, were they? No. Um, I believe they came to the institution Humanidine because of their gifts. Okay. The world at large doesn't know they have those abilities, right? I mean, I guess people have seen it, but yeah, I'm not sure. I, I remember in the, um, uh, in the episodes, uh, the Humanidine sign in front of the building had at the bottom of it uh, the nation's number one uh, defense, government defense facility or something like that. So it could be that the government knows, but I don't think mm -hmm. uh, the world at large knows. Okay. I mean, her I, her character might have been a fun character. She doesn't get many, at least in these episodes, she doesn't get much chance to do humor which again is what i know her for right. there's a couple looks she gives a couple times that looked familiar i'm like oh there's <laughs> monica staring off in the space or reacting to something and her vocal tone her voice is very different in this there's a few times where it hits the high notes that i very much love hearing but and I, maybe she had more to do on on the previous episode episodes but she seems like a very underdeveloped character and i don't know if that's her performance or, or, or the writing of it well i mean i mean i assume she in the flashback episode i think she was doing a southern accent 
or something <laughs> with her with her stern taskmaster taskmaster uh, routine. Um, yeah, so she was she was really still developing at that point. I think she was really young. Yeah. yeah, I think is what it is. What and at first I thought, okay, she, they're pairing her up as supposed to be a romantic couple with with Johnny B was my guess on it. But they're just friends because they're both kind of outcasts at the science installation of outcasts what i thought was interesting with the show and i feel like the show is actually strangely progressive in a few ways they acknowledge her age difference in a very uncomfortable scene (laughs) Um, because i think the idea with most shows in the 80s or a lot of shows like this you know that hour-long dramas is that the female character is there to be a attracted to whatever male character at the time it serves like it's a romantic fling you know sort of thing or or the the romantic tension is always supposed to be there on these shows and there is a scene she has in the last episode we watched with uh the the head doctor what is i'm sorry i keep forgetting these people's names i even have his name written down somewhere dr hayes where i think they're tied up somewhere and, and they're they're getting free and he makes some sort of like joke about coming on to her or something. And she acknowledges her age difference. Yeah, this... She says that she's a teen and he has a line <laughs> that follows it. He, he acknowledges that he knows by saying how bad could the rap <laughs> for statutory could the, how bad could the rap be for statutory smell? It's a strangely quickly glazed over rape joke. That is also kind of, I don't know if it's intentionally acknowledging this convention in 80 shows, though, where women were just used as candy for the male characters and something for the audience to watch. And this show is giving us the female characters they give us. They give us Miss Nance, who is a wonderfully bizarre character who's not presented as sort of the sexualized character, I don't think. And then you have this character who is purposefully made young, maybe because the target audience is kids. Maybe that's why it is. Or maybe, and I don't know, but I'd like to think as a way of kind of, much like the opening credits and so much of the show, kind of flipping off the general television of the time. Yeah, I can absolutely see that. In fact, based on just these three episodes, I'm going to assume that that's what they're doing. Because it just seems like the kind of thing that, that they would do. Yeah, right. I mean, this it seems like a very that's the other thing too. It's a, it is a very progressive show. I mean, in these episodes alone, um the the Dr. Hayes characters seems very open to and aware of gender fluidity, which isn't something I would have even known about growing yeah. up. But um in a non hopefully non-mocking way. I mean, it's a joke, but he I think he references that the mouse this is, that tiny mouse we're talking about before is going through a gender bender phase. Right. There's a scene where he's trying to get into a ladies night and the bouncer who is this kind of strong uh, female the one strong female <laughs> character the show gives us is trying to stop him and and he challenges her by saying what's female, what's male. And again, it's used for comedy, but it's not used they're not pointing at the bouncer and saying you're a muscle bound woman, right. therefore you're a lesbian and that's a problem yeah. that they're that, it, to the degree that maybe if this is what they were doing and if this is what they could accomplish on TV, they're allowing just sentences to exist in conversation that seemed, and it would have gone totally over my head as a child. But if this is what it is, I mean, that's, that's pretty amazing for your little science fiction geek spectacular. Yeah. 
I, I really... Are you going to go back and watch more episodes? I'd like yeah. to. I mean, I'd like to... I think the flashback episode, I, I think a lot of that's the pilot from what I've read because it seems to be like this, what I thought was a caveman character and, and, and there that seems to be a driving part of that episode are those clips. I'd like to Yeah, there's watch a lot it. from the pilot. The caveman character, because um, I've done a little research too, looking at air dates and stuff, uh, that's a episode four. Oh, okay. Um, and yeah, so I think, yeah, two th- through four might be where they pulled most of it because it's sort of the, the, the origin of everything. Yeah, and I think it is um, a well-served catch-you-up sort of episode. Where do you think the show could have gone if it had stayed on? I mean, again, we're only, you know, it's all supposition. And I, just going off of these three episodes, like I still don't have a, a full sense of the show. The episode we haven't really talked about, the second episode that we watched uh, was seemed to be a standard episode for the show, I imagine. Yeah. It, it has a wrestling plot, which was probably current at the Wrest- time. The yeah, WWF the was, was big at Plus, the time. Plus, I find that um, it also had that plot where you had the the mob kind of roughing up the community to make them pay their insurance money, <laughs> yeah. which for, for crying out, I mean, that's every episode of the A-Team. That's happened more than <laughs> once that I can recall, or at least once in uh, in MacGyver, for instance. Like that just came up a lot. I, I was really like concerned that, that there were like all of these people um, all over the world having to, or all over the cities in America anyway, having to pay um, for that, that mob insurance. That was, were you what you're that's what you thought as a child? Oh, yeah. I mean, it just was everywhere on television. Did you have a sense of the mob being what it is, like a real thing, or was it more just a, a TV trope? That it you were was a TV of? trope that I was scared of, of these, which, if you know, looking at it now, are nothing like mobsters. You know, they're just. Well, but what are you basing that on other TV shows and other movies? Yeah, I guess they would be mob. I don't know. Sure, but I mean, just that that particular that particular um, scam that they were pulling on everybody um, to to make mm-hmm. pay that was everywhere, and that was in this episode. I mean, as standard and contrived as it is, halfway through it, it bre- it would break. I assume it breaks for a commercial from how the episode played out, and then it comes back to this dream oh, sequence. Oh, that's right. That lasted sequence. forever. That was a lengthy <laughs> sequence that had no introduction. The main character's in a chicken costume, and he has to wrestle. I don't remember who he's wrestling, but everyone else, similar to the episode, the previous clip episode where he goes to the alternate reality, all the misfits and, and are there just playing different roles. Did he have to res- wrestle Bates Motel? Who shouted the line, nice guys finished dead. <laughs> yeah. But um, no, I, I that wrestling dream sequence, I enjoyed it. And it made me wonder, is that what, what um Dr. Hayes does? Does he have dreams <laughs> consistently and then... That's how they solved the episode because the clip show, he's dreaming and it almost backfires. He can't figure out the nuclear bomb and wakes up and has figured something out about him. And then in this one, he has that dream. And I think that somehow helps them out. I don't remember quite well enough. Is Was that an ongoing aspect of the show or is that just happens to be because these episodes were back to back? Yeah, I have no true recollection. I think it's just coincidental. What else at the t- at this time, like 1985 or 86, can you think of anything else that would have been on the air that was similar to this? I can't. When Well, Alf came after this, right? Alf is not this, yeah. No, I'm just... I'm, Alf is a horrible half-hour sitcom. 
And it's, but Alf is just one-liners thrown by anyone and the puppet. I mean, that's not. Well, it's absurd. Yes, but I, mean, uh, I mentioned Police Squad earlier. It, yeah, so, that's true. that didn't last no, very long. It was considered last. to be moving too fast. I mean, I it, this show kept reminding me of Max Headroom, which I think premiered a few years later. Did you ever watch that show? When I that did was once on? in a while. Um, it wasn't a regular thing for me. I mean, that was a very specific, it was, you know, a science fiction dystopian show and, and it was set in the world of, of digital TV and stuff like that. And it it also, I think, floundered just because they were so absurd. I mean, these are shows, Misfits of Science, Police Squad and Max Headroom were shows that at the time, you know, th- th- we had three networks, ABC, NBC and CBS. And so that's where a show like this would show you know, and, and, you know, in seasons that are normally 20 to 30 episodes, they'd have to produce that. And so there were probably expensive shows that were competing against shows that were just watched by millions, you know, like you were saying, I think Dallas aired opposite Misfits of Science. Yeah. I mean, these aren't shows that I think of as network shows. You know, these are shows that I think of, you know, you get it on FX now or you get it on Netflix or you get it on HBO. You know, I think right. networks or stations or who, whatever we call it now that makes television programs, because of how shows are available, they know they can make something to such a tight niche audi- audience, not have to please everyone, and someone will find it, you know. I mean, these shows may not always last as long as you'd want them to. Arrested Development kind of came and went very quickly, you know, over the course of three years, but it has its audience and they've since followed it up. So it, it was made for them. A show like Misfits of Science, in no way would the show appeal to the mass mindset of TV watching America. And that's not an insult. That's just the reality of how the show works. But it didn't seem to pull many of its punches, which I think is why I enjoyed at least these episodes. Like, again, that second episode, that wrestling episode, I could see how that could be bent slightly to fit into the contrived idea of what a show is going to be. Like, it's a quirky show, but not too quirky. You know, cut the dream sequence, and that's what you'd have. Moonlighting. Moonlighting might have been something similar. I mean, it didn't have the sci-fi aspect, but it did have that that quirkiness. And it did well, though. Why did Moonlighting do well? Because you're right, Moonlighting is a show that constantly played with its conventions. It was a very very well-written, very smart-written show, smarter than a lot of what was on TV and experimental. Why did that work and something like this did not? It's probably that science fiction aspect of it. You know, Moonlighting had romance. It had two main characters um, that that were romantically entangled, whereas Mississippi's a science... um, was more of like you're saying the nerd geek aspect, which at the time wasn't uh, wasn't what it is today. Um, and also, it's like I think of Mister to Science. I mean, we've talked about how airs opposite Dallas, and I remember Dallas being on later in the evening. And so that I mean, I'll have to double check when it actually aired because for m- me. Because I liked this show so much, and I think at the time, like I thought it was geared towards kids, um, but watching it now, you can see how maybe it wasn't. But maybe that's why it didn't last is because it it couldn't find that that audience. Like Dallas is that that grown up soap opera, you know, primetime soap kind of thing. 
when did that air? Didn't that air at ten? Or was that a nine? O'clock? I'm guessing it aired at nine because I have memories of like watching like Bugs Bunny cartoons when you know their specials would be on. You know the Bugs Bunny Halloween special. Watch that at eight thirty, and then going up to bed and hearing the theme from Dallas. I mean, the theme from Dallas is a big signifier that I'm going to bed. I Me too. Me well too. From... Every time. So that would probably place the show at nine if that's what it was competing with. Yeah, so it seems like it's on later than you would want something that was geared towards children. So it, it just wasn't finding its audience, mm-hmm. it seems. I feel like it had the feeling of a very smart kid show. And I think that there weren't a lot of kid shows being written that well. And again, maybe I'm wrong in this, but I feel like this this was made to appeal to the kids who saw Ghostbusters, the, 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 the kids who read comic books, you know, and, and probably actual scientists too, you know, <laughs> kids who were into a concept of science, at least. I mean, I, I think I was drawn to this because, I mean, I was big into UFOs. I was big into ghosts and the paranormal, and that's not really there, but I guess misfits of science, something in that superpowered mutations, you know, those comic book tropes definitely is what I remember from the commercials. Again, I, I, I'm not sure why I never sought this show out. I don't know if it's when it was on or if it was on opposite, probably Mr. Belvedere, if it was Friday nights. But um, no, I, I, I would wonder who the audience is because I think it's great if it is a smart, someone had a show and they just thought, let's make this smarter than people think kids can handle. I wonder if the show five years later or in syndication. Cause you remember like at the end of the eighties, all of a sudden there seemed to be all these shows that were syndicated at night. You know, there was the war of the worlds TV show. There was Friday the 13th, the series there was, right. um, I'm sure there are many more. I just can't think of them. The RoboCop <clears throat> got a series, Star Trek, the next generation. I wonder if this they, show they brought back uh, a couple, like the twilight zone, I think came back. I think and that was on network TV. I want to say, maybe I'm wrong. What was the, that. what was the other one then? Um, the outer limit, outer limits. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So this, I wonder if this would have done, cause those shows, you know, they still had decent budgets. Something about those shows always felt like those were more niche audience shows. Those were shows right. similar to what we're talking about. Shows are like now <clears throat> that the audience would find them and they weren't necessarily competing with the network standard of TV. I wonder if the show would have done better. Like, I don't know where the show would have gone. You know, I mean, no. maybe the formula doesn't carry that much. Like, maybe there wouldn't be a lot of continuity, which is what I expect from science fiction shows now, but just standalones week to week. But it was funny. Everyone seemed very good in their roles. Like, I wasn't convinced at first that the tall guy was going to be good, but he was really enjoyable because everything was downplayed. And, everything and was... I was surprised. I mean, except for Courtney Cox and Max Wright. Um, None of the other actors really uh, went on to anything that I'm familiar with. And I thought, especially Hayes, I thought had a very charming persona. Um, I thought at that actor, I was surprised that he didn't move on to anything else. Yeah, he was very charming. I mean, that's that role of that character. I mean, yeah, it's interesting. Definitely. You made the comparison, I think. And then it was also that Brandon Tartikin quote. It is Ghostbusters in a lot of ways, which is great. You know, that's a nice yeah. mashing up of, of, of genres into something. So, no, I was really happy to, to that you mentioned this and that you brought this show up because I, I will go back in and rewatch those. Watching it now as an adult, yeah, what is, if you've already said this, I'm sorry to make you repeat it, what is the difference now in it as you see it? Yeah, as I see it, it's, it's a smarter and funnier show than I remember it being. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was drawn to it, again, 
for the the action and the sci-fi and the superpowers um and now through my uh 2017 eyes i see that it's <laughs> it was a fart a smarter and and funny did i say farter it was a farter show it was yeah. a farter show it was funnier and smarter than than i knew it was a shorter show time. if they rebooted it now i bet they it wouldn't work because i bet they would cast it much younger i bet all the characters would be you know college kids or even younger and handsome attractive people running around and there would probably be a bigger government conspiracy on the run. I mean, like I think it's hard for a show to take itself this lightly anymore. If they were to reboot it now, they, they should do a, a sort of Brady Bunch sort of take on, well, not maybe, maybe not Brady Bunch, but sort of a take where like, I think they should make sure they don't really have slick special effects. You know what I mean? Like, like keep, keep that, that weirdness to it. Where but is there an audience for that? I'd watch it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go back and watch these. But that's the thing. Like, do, does that mean they need to be rebooted? Like maybe this is, you know, this is very much, I think a lot of the stuff we watch turns out this way, but this is very much a product of its time. Right. Every, I mean, it is very much the eighties to me. I mean, if it got rebooted now, I think you would lose the comedic aspects of it. I think you would lose, mm-hmm. lose the satire and lose the, the uh the fu to television as you put it um and yeah it would just turn into a a slick sci-fi superhero type of show maybe you could do it in comic books or maybe maybe it's time to do it in comic books you know not like deadpool but you know just do a fun superhero comic book that is pointing out the ridiculousness of every other interconnected continuity book out there because i guess that's yeah the show I think in the future we'll watch more shows from this era, and I think I will compare them to this because I I can't help but feel like this show was a direct comment and reaction to the seriousness and overblown masculine coke-addled bullshit of Miami Vice and MacGyver. Not bullshit because they're enjoyable shows, Riptide, but you know just the overdone aspect of yeah. hour-long male dramas. Well, and they kept showing a couple clips. I, I think it's in the opening uh, credits where they clearly have done a Miami Vice parody. Yeah, right. Uh, he's pushing up the sleeves, and he's got the neon purple shirt or whatever. Yeah. Um, did TV do that back then? That's what I'm saying. Like, did TV comment on itself that much back then? I don't think so. Maybe just, like, Saturday Night Live or, like, a comedy show, maybe a comedy special now and again. Yeah, but those are sketches, and those are yeah. can be well done. But, like, this is, yeah, a show, again, and now we're repeating it, but a show that exists within the medium it exists in while making fun of it. I think Moonlighting is a perfect example of that, too. That's great. No, I love it. Fourth wall breaking magic was this show. We've got a win. Yay. I'm glad that I brought yeah. a show to you that you've thoroughly enjoyed. Um, and it no, I am, too. I, actually, I was watching it with my girlfriend, and I, her reaction was, how did I never, meaning her, how did I never know this existed? It does. It plays to def- a definite mentality and audience that is in its heyday of things to watch now. So there it is. Uh, there you go. Did your fever break? Are the, are the meds kicking in? Is it odd working from home where everything just becomes pajamas? Uh, thanks for sticking with us. We'll, we'll be back next week with a new episode. Um, 
And until then, you know, as always, you can check us out at 20popcast.com, the official and restructured website for the show. You can listen to uh, any of the recent episodes there. You can find links to all of our past episodes there. And if you haven't yet and you are so inclined, you can uh, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. They're all linked right there on the website. And that way you'll you'll never miss an episode. You can also find ways to follow us on Twitter at 20popcast, on Instagram at uh, 20popcast. So there's that. Look, uh, this is brief. This is rushed. I'm just trying to get something up on the air. But uh, we'll be back. You know, Bob and I will be back before you know it with an all new episode uh, meant to fully stoke these apocalyptic pandemic concerns currently infecting us all. <laughs> <laughs>